0: I want to just remind us, as we get started on our sermon, uh, before I do that, of Easter. Uh, We already talked about Esther, thanks for doing such a good job of uh, explaining all that's there. I was talking to somebody yesterday who said to me, somebody from our congregation said to me, you know, um, sometimes it feels a little bit dark right now in the world, and she made the point that when it's darkest, the light of Christ shines most brightly And so uh, there is work to be done as the church um, to bring and to shine, to reflect the light of Christ to a world that is maybe in a little bit more need, or at least we're more aware of the need than we have been in the past. And so I want to encourage you uh, this Easter, even right now, maybe as I'm sharing this with you, you know, the Holy Spirit is putting into your mind people, image bearers who don't yet have a relationship with Christ. And maybe God is calling you to invite those people to join us in worship in the next day. So whether it be Palm Sunday or our Seder, Christ in the Passover, which is going to be really wonderful on Zoom, or especially Easter sunrise or regular worship. So I want to ask you and invite you, if... There are some people coming to your mind right now that you be faithful to God's call on your life, to the Great Commission, and today even begin to think of how you might invite that person, those people to join us on one of those times in the coming weeks, because I really do believe that the Lord wants to do something in not only just our lives, but in the lives of other people as well. So let me just pray for you uh, as you think about that, and then we'll get started uh, with our passage this morning. So God, we ask that this would be a special Easter. We know that there has been a measure of darkness, but we do know also That you, Jesus Christ, shine most brightly when it's darkest. And so we ask God for your empowerment, your direction, your guidance, your discernment, your sensitivity, your boldness, your courage to do the loving thing and step out in faith to make available to people The possibility of hearing about, learning about, coming into relationship with you, Jesus Christ, being filled with the Holy Spirit, having not only this life transformed, but eternal life transformed as well. God, that's our prayer. It's your call in our lives. You've given us the the great commission to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. That's what we want to do. We want to be faithful in that. We want to be faithful in this season in particular because you've given us this season right now. So thinking about the people here and those who are at home and the, the, the image bearers that have come into all of our minds. Just imagine all those people right now. God, would you help us to reach out, to live on mission, to love, to bless, to have compassion and to, to follow your lead. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, um, going jump right in but i am i am excited i just want to say briefly uh and thankful to you all for a couple of weeks off thankful to ang lip who preached an amazing sermon two weeks ago so grateful and for miguel castuera who preached last week it was great to uh, see him in the pulpit so grateful for that and to the leadership for giving me a couple weeks off i realized before i take it off that i just had four days of vacation since the end of september which um wasn't going to do so uh, i made a commitment um to uh, be a little bit more vigilant over um, my own uh, schedule and time in that respect. But I did get three days in a cabin, uh, a miner's cabin up towards the mountains and had a really refreshing time and then a week back at home with the family and and just was really blessed. So I feel ready for a new season. I feel ready for Easter and I hope you do too. Um, So I'm excited, excited to be here and back and back in the pulpit and back in the book of Philippians. So we're looking at Philippians 4 two through seven, what I'm calling uh, this particular passage today, the message of it is healthy practices for people under pressure, healthy practices for people under pressure, Um, kind of like, you know, an athlete who at the end of the game, uh, the game's on the line, the crowd is cheering, the clock is going down, there's all kinds of confusion and chaos, and this athlete is able under all that pressure to execute on what he or she is supposed to do. Don't you want to live life like that? Don't you want to be able to move through life in that way? Well, Paul's going to help you today. He's going to help all of us to be able to move through life with that kind of ability to handle pressure. And so uh, I want to think a little bit about what kind of pressures we've been facing this last week, you know, grappling with uh, violence against uh, Asian Americans. Um, you know, uh, uh, there's been issues as uh, Martin prayed. Lord Martin, thank you so much for that prayer. Really blessed us. Really you so carefully thought through and and just last night's prayer time as well. So thank you for that. Um, but uh, you know we've had the the violence against Asian Americans. But layered into that have been all these other pieces like Christian nationalism, and uh, as you prayed about sexual addiction, and um, and, and then uh, violence, guns, and it just kind of all gets into this this thing that's hard to untangle and make sense of, and, and it creates this kind of kind of pressure. So we've got that going on. And then, you know, just as Christians living in the area, there's sort of the ongoing sense of pressure of what it means to to be a Christian in the Bay Area, where there are so many misconceptions about Christianity, and there are so few of us, and and sometimes you feel like the beleaguered minority, and 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 sometimes it seems like even that's getting getting worse as uh, you know news events explode about Christians who've done terrible things, and now you're the one who has to sort of answer for that. You're put in this really difficult, pressured moment, this pressured position. Closer to home in our own community, you. we've been dealing with the departure of uh, one of our pastors. And so that has been an intense time for us, a pressurized time for us to be processing and praying and thinking and talking together. Uh, And then all of this has been unfolding in the context of a pandemic, which has significantly impacted our relationships, our ability to connect and relate with one another. Uh, And then also financially, some of us are feeling under pressure, church feeling under pressure financially. And so all of this all these pressures come down upon us, and uh, the question is: How do we? How do we? How do we continue to move forward? How do we execute? I want to remind you that uh, the people in Philippi were experiencing a tremendous amount of pressure as well. Um, they were under the pressure of persecution. That remember, uh, Philippi was a place where uh, all of the, re- the soldiers would go. Uh, many re- soldiers would go to retire. So there was this sort of like political, religious vibe in. The city of Philippi and the, the Christians who had started to worship Jesus Christ were sort of standing against that, and so uh, the the rest of the community didn't like it. So they were putting pressure on the Christians. This small Christians in Philippi. Uh, But then that pressure seems also to have resulted in tensions. And and we're hearing a little bit about that in our passage um, with the early uh, founders of the church. Remember, the church in Philippi was started because Paul went to Philippi and he went by the river and there was a group of women who were praying. And those women became sort of the founders of this church. What a beautiful story that is. Yesterday, we had our women meeting here uh, in the parking lot. There was almost 40 of them or so and uh, had a wonderful time together prayer I heard I wasn't there but I heard great things about it and so we want to continue to support and encourage that um, so there was pressure on the Philippian church but then Paul who's writing to them was also experiencing experiencing pressure Paul was in jail, probably in Rome, and what Paul was, was waiting for in jail was a verdict over his very life, whether or not he would be executed or he would be able to continue to live. And so that's pressure, right? If you're sitting in a dark prison cell and you're wondering if you're going to be executed, that is pressure. And so, um, and I've got another microphone because this microphone's not working. All right. Turn this one off. All right. Is that better? Okay. So we have uh, the Philippian church is under pressure from the outside and from the inside. And then Paul is under pressure as he's in prison. And what Paul says to them uh, amidst their moment of pressure is meant for us as well. Uh, His healthy practices for people under pressure is for us as well. And in this text, I see three healthy practices for people under pressure. So uh, keep your finger on the page because we're going to go through especially that second part of the text and talk about how to live under pressure. So the first practice is this. When you're under pressure, rejoice. When you're under pressure, rejoice. Sitting in jail, waiting for the verdict on his life, Paul writes, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say Rejoice! So he's, he, he reiterates, he doesn't do that very often. He says it twice. It's a strong command that when you're under pressure, rejoice. Joy is a major theme in the book. In fact, we titled the study of, of Philippians, Joy Spring, because we're hoping and praying that just as Paul is teaching throughout the course of this book, that we would become better at, we would learn how to live into the joy of the Lord in the midst of trying and difficult circumstances, So I want to highlight um, three sources of joy. He, He says, he gives us a little hint here. He says, joy is in the Lord. He says, rejoice in the Lord. So if you're underlining things, you might want to underline in the Lord. Um, and so it's kind of a hint, but really what's been happening throughout the book of Philippians is we've been, we've been seeing what that little phrase, in the Lord, rejoice in the Lord, means. How do you find joy in the Lord? And I want to look at three sources that appear throughout the course of the book of Philippians. The first one I entitle similarity, okay? We are filled with joy when we realize that suffering and being under pressure make us like Jesus, similar to Jesus, there is a joy that comes from similarity. We used to live in Hershey, Pennsylvania for four years, um, right out of seminary. And forever, uh, we were being told while we were in Hershey, Pennsylvania, the story of Milton Hershey. You know, the one who founded the Hershey Chocolate um, Company. And Milton Hershey failed in establishing chocolate Uh, businesses over and over again I can't remember how many times but the story the point of the story was always this and of course then he he established Hershey's and we know how ubiquitous Hershey's chocolate is the point of the story was always this if you're failing in life right now don't be sad because many people who did great things Milton Hershey um, you could fill in the, the blank with others Uh, failed many times before they accomplished what they want to do. So being like, being a failure like Milton Hershey was encouraging because he ended up being successful. Well, that's what Paul is doing here in the book of Philippians. Paul is saying throughout Philippians, if you're suffering and you're under pressure, don't despair because Jesus Christ suffered and was under pressure. Ultimately, that's what the cross is, is the suffering of Jesus Christ. Tremendous pressure. When you read the story of Jesus on the way to the cross, tremendous pressure. You can hardly even imagine. And then the pressure of all the sins of humanity upon himself. Jesus, the greatest person who ever lived, lived in suffering and tremendous pressure. So if you are like the greatest person who ever lived, then maybe it's not all bad. So one of the reasons, we, one of the ways that we tap into the joy that comes in the midst of of pressure is by being reminded that we are like, we are similar to Jesus Christ. That's the first one. The second one is for joy in the Lord amidst suffering and pressure is fruitfulness. Paul says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, has really served to advance the gospel. This is back in chapter 1, verse 12. And then he goes on to talk about fruitfulness, uh, the fruitfulness of Jesus that came uh, from Jesus when he was in the most pressured moment. That's what chapter 2 is about, where it describes Jesus going to the cross and the tremendous accomplishment of Jesus Christ on the cross, but it wasn't without that kind of pressure. Uh, the fruitfulness is a result of the suffering. I was able, uh, during my break, I said, I was at a cabin up near the mountains. And so, um, on my last day, I got in the car and drove over to, um, Big Trees State Park in Calaveras. Maybe some of you have visited Big Trees State Park, Calaveras County. If you haven't, it's up Highway 4. I highly recommend it. And if you're watching online, you're going to have a picture that I took um, while I was looking at the big trees. Um, If you're not, those of you who are here, I want you to imagine a really, really, really big tree. You got it? Really tall. I don't know how else to... Get this in your head, but that's the best I can do. Um, And but this tree, um, what I learned when I was there is the result of a seed that is merely four to five millimeters in length. That's one fifth of an inch. So this tree, hundreds of feet high, you know, you've seen pictures of a giant sequoia, is a result of this tiny little seed. And that seed. Um, gets buried in the ground. And that's kind of like what suffering is. Suffering is like getting buried in the ground. And then God brings fruit out of that. The greatest fruit that God has borne in my life has almost always been as a result of some kind of suffering or intense pressure in my life. That's just the way that it works. And so one of the reasons that we can have joy in the midst of suffering is and pressure is because of fruitfulness. Maybe because the greatest fruitfulness that there ever was, which was the work of Jesus Christ down on the cross, was the result of that kind of suffering, the burial of Jesus and then his resurrection from the grave. See, there's a pattern here. And when we suffer, when we're under pressure, when we feel buried under pressure, there is a kind of a pattern here that we relate to with Jesus Christ. And so Jesus um, gives us joy in the fruitfulness of our lives as a result of suffering. Thirdly, the third way that we connect, and this was probably the best one, we rejoice in suffering because suffering fosters togetherness with Jesus, and and I don't say that word togetherness lightly. It's togetherness that is uh, intimate and experiential. Christ is never more present in our lives than when we are in the place of spiritual poverty that accompanies, you know, what the prison, darkness, humiliation, um, persecution, uh, pressures of all kinds. Simple spiritual axiom: Psalm thirty-four, eighteen. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and saves the crushed in spirit. I went back through the Book of Philippians to note the ways that it, this is true, and I honestly started to make a list of all the words and phrases that betray, that display the intimacy that Paul had with Christ, and it was it was too many to recount. And a lot of times it's focused on these little prepositions being in Christ or being with Christ. Uh, 2 Timothy 4, 16 through 18, Paul is again in prison and at the end of his life. And he makes a very profound statement, which in some ways captures the kind of togetherness with Christ that we can experience in the midst of our deepest suffering and pressure. He writes this, at my first defense, no one came to stand by me. So there he is, again, probably facing life or death, and he's in prison. Um, we can try to imagine how scary and intimidating that would be. He says, At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. So that through me, the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me. This is the kind of uh, intimate, experiential uh, togetherness with Christ that I'm talking about. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever Amen. This late week, we celebrated uh, St. Patrick's Day. And St. Patrick was uh, a wonderful follower of Jesus and did many wonderful things and said many wonderful things. And one of them is this prayer of St. Patrick um, that I want to share at least a portion of it with you. It says, uh, Christ be with me. Christ within me. Christ behind me. Christ before me. Christ beside me. Christ to win me, Christ to comfort and restore me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ in quiet, Christ in danger, Christ in hearts of all that love me, interesting phrase, Christ in mouth of friend and stranger. You can be joyful under pressure because when you are under pressure, you are like Christ first. You are primed to bear more fruit like Christ, like Paul, and together with Christ in a sort of experiential, intimate way. Um, Jesus is in your pandemic bubble, if you like. Uh, He's part of that suffering with you in an intimate way. And there's really no way to understand that except to be in it and to have nowhere else to turn but to have to cry out to Jesus Christ and to find that he meets you in all kinds of creative ways maybe that you didn't even imagine to sustain you through each and every moment. When you're under pressure, rejoice. When you're under pressure, number two, be gentle. When you are under pressure, be gentle. The word that's translated reasonable in the ESV, um, it's a kind of a tough one to render into English, and there's a number of different ways that it can be translated. It could be graciousness, um, or it could be gentleness, which is the one that I'm using. Uh, It's also the opposite of quarrelsomeness, um, which kind of helps us to circle in on the meaning of the word um, and in one verse uh, somewhere else in the New Testament, it's associated with the phrase being open to reason, which I found a, a helpful way to think through the, the meaning of this word, uh, reasonableness or gentleness, being open to reason. So gentleness in this context, right? Gentleness is a is a big word that can be used in many contexts. But taking it in this particular context, the particular word in the original language, can be translated something like this. It's the ability in the midst of complicated and emotionally charged relationships to calmly and impartially sort through difficult issues and move towards solutions. Let me say that again. It's the ability in the midst of complicated and emotionally charged relationships to calmly and impartially sort through difficult issues and move towards solutions. So the opposite of it is when someone is reactionary or extremely partial or uh, emotionally uncontrolled, which we all know because we've all done it before, um, doesn't help the situation. Usually ends up making things worse. When I was a kid, uh, we used to watch reruns. Uh, emphasis reruns, okay? I wasn't alive when this show came out. We used to watch reruns of the Andy Griffith show. Did anybody see the Andy Griffith show? Still they're still showing reruns on it? So Andy Griffith is a single father, and then he's also a sheriff in a small town. And the show is essentially about conflicts that happen either between him and his son uh, or, his, or, or the social life that they're living together, uh, you know, or what's happening in the particular town, and he's the sheriff. And and the thing about Andy Griffith that's so interesting is he never carries a gun with him. And, and he has to enter into, almost never, he, he has to enter into these complicated situations and he has to sort through them. Uh, and he um, is able to do it. He's always the mediator and he's able to do it without resorting to the gun. Now, of course, in the real world, in our world, that's not really possible. I'm, I'm not saying police officers and sheriffs shouldn't be carrying guns or anything like that. But what I am saying is that the story of this, of of, of Andy Griffith is, is the emphasis on his ability to sort through complicated problems, to be reasonable, to reason through them. Uh, and that's the, what this, this, this word gentleness is like. It's gentleness is like not carrying the gun. Gentleness is like not carrying the gun into the situation. I wrote down some words that uh, Some of which are out in the New Testament elsewhere that help to characterize gentleness. Um, and we'll put them up on the screen for you if you're watching um, from home. Um, but here's the list. Uh, careful, um, thoughtful, patient, forgiving, uh, creative. I, I think sometimes when we enter into situations that are fraught with all kinds of complexity and emotions... One of the best things we can do is, is seek to be creative, to seek creative solutions. For that, we need the Holy Spirit so much of the time to give us insight to things that we didn't maybe think of or see before. Um, collaborative, uh, long-suffering, you know, willing to go the extra mile, um, quick to listen, slow to speak from, from James. And then, of course, always prayerful. I just want to shout out, you know, if you want another example, over the last months, I would say that our elders and council have, to use the words of this verse, let their reasonableness be made known to everyone. At least to me, they have. They've been the definition of gentleness. And I'm so glad that this church is blessed with the kind of leaders that we've been blessed with. Um, and we're always looking for more people to step in to that kind of work. It's, it's challenging at times, but we need more people to step into that. So if the Lord's tapping you on, your sh- on the shoulder um, to call you into that, we, we want to we wanna speak with you. Um, gentleness is also, for example... When a husband and wife, rather than reacting to the, the moment in the house that's really fraught with emotion and intensity, when they're able to steal off into the bedroom and discuss the issue at hand and pray together and come up with a with a vision for how they'll respond. Um, Jody and I love going on long, long walks these days. That's one of the things we've been doing over the last year. And so much of the time on those long walks, um, she made me walk six miles on Friday. It was ridiculous. And we had to go to the top of Mosier. Um, So like, you can solve a lot of problems in that amount of time, walking to the top of Mosier. So I, I highly recommend it for you. But, you know, coming up with this unified vision and approach, that's, the, that's what reasonable is. gentleness is. It's that slow, deliberate process. And we all have the endless opportunities for this, right? We have endless opportunities for this in our homes or in our workplaces, in our church. Um, and Paul gives in this passage a compelling reason for us to be reasonable. What is it? Look back in the text. The Lord is at hand. Let your reasonness be evident. The Lord is at hand. And I don't think that's supposed to be something that causes us to feel panic, like, oh, no, I better do this or God's going to, you know, crush me. Um, What it's uh, intended for us to remember is that God is there. We don't do these. We don't enter into these hard moments where there's so much complexity and emotion and we don't enter into them alone. We enter into them in the presence of God. God is with us. He's given us his Holy Spirit because of the work that Jesus did on the cross. And so we can have that hope when we enter into these hard moments with one another, when we enter into them in our families, uh, in our workplace, even when, when maybe not everybody is a follower of Jesus, but we can still we can still follow Jesus in the, most, in the midst of the complexity Right? Or in our church context to be reasonable. Uh, we don't do it in isolation. God is present with us, both to remind us of the stakes, right? That, that the people we're dealing with are made in his image and they're beautiful creations. And so we ought we to honor this moment as best we can. And then also to know that he will help us when we seem at the end of our capability, the end of our creativity, the end of our understanding. Be gentle. Because the Lord is at hand. And then, thirdly, when you're under pressure, uh, rejoice, be gentle. And the third one is pray. When you're under pressure, pray. In verse 6, if you're using your Bible or if you're on your phone or some other device and you can underline uh, or highlight, I want you to highlight these words. Maybe they're not the ones that you would have thought of anything And everything. Do not be anxious about anything. Pray about everything. Do not be anxious about anything. Pray about everything. So, what is anxiousness? Anxiousness is thinking about a possible future, conceptualizing it in the most negative way, and then rehearsing that vision over and over again in your mind, right? Let me say that again. Anxiousness is thinking about a possible future reality, conceiving of it in negative terms, and rehearsing it over and over again in your mind. Well, what is prayer? Prayer is many things, and so it's, it's much more than just this. But in this particular text, in this context, prayer is thinking about a possible future, conceptualizing it in positive terms, and then asking God to make it a reality. Say that again. Prayer is thinking about a possible future, conceptualizing it in positive terms, and then asking God to make it a reality. Or even asking God to show you what the positive terms would be, what it could look like. Here's the important thing about anxiety and prayer that come from this text. You, we really ought to understand that anxiety and prayer prayer are often vying for the same place in our minds. Anxiety and prayer are vying for the same they're like two cars trying to park in the same stall. You ever have that when you're in a parking lot and you can see the open parking stall uh, like over there and then as soon as you see it you see another car that might be heading towards it. And so you floor it and you're dodging the pedestrians who are trying to walk across the parking lot to get to their car. And then you have this incredible moment where you're, you know, you, you both stopped. You come to a screeching halt in front of the stall and you're looking at each other. And the question is, who is going to get the stall? We've all been there, right? That's like the moment. That's like anxiety and prayer in our minds as we move through our days. Over and over again, anxiety and prayer are coming to the same stall. And the question is, which one is going to park? Which one is going to park in the stall? Some of us are more anxious than others. And uh, I think some of us feel a, a kind of a guilt around that, especially if we're believers and we've been walking with the Lord for a long time. We feel perhaps that we shouldn't be anxious People that we shouldn't have the temptation to be anxious, uh, and so we feel some shame and some guilt around that. And looking at this text, I want to reframe that for you. Maybe, maybe the real story is not that you are an anxious person. If you're tempted to anxiety more frequently than others, or what you think you should be, maybe the story is that God is wanting to turn you into pr- a prayer warrior. And he's ringing the bell of anxiety more frequently in your mind because he's calling you to pray more because that's your particular call in life. To be a prayer warrior. This text is so incredibly rich. it, it talks then about this little reminder that brings us with with thanksgiving. We're supposed to pray so, so when we become anxious you know there's two cars that want to park in the stall. We're going to not let the anxious car park. The prayer car is going to park in the stall uh, and then he says that also uh, we need to pray with thanksgiving. The opposite of thanksgiving is ingratitude which comes from a sense of entitlement and let me just kind of give you a zinger here because uh, I don't have time to do it nicely. Um, remember in the biblical view the the only thing we are really entitled to is destruction because of sin. That's the only thing we're really entitled to in this world. Everything else is a grace of God. And if we don't approach the prayer task with that sense of thanksgiving, then it will be negatively impacted. And so Paul inserts this little reminder. It's like he opens a whole theological world with thanksgiving, he says. With thanksgiving. And opens us incredible and reminds us that when we come to the work of prayer, we need to come within the remembrance that the possibility of redemption is amazing altogether. And and, and then anything beyond that is grace upon grace. That will transform your prayer life. It will transform the posture with which you come to the work, incredibly important work of prayer. And then in this final statement that's so beautiful, this might be the verse that I find myself quoting to people more than almost any other as I'm I'm meeting with them. Um, It says, And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God which transcends all understanding. Now, I I find this really intriguing. Paul has talked, I, I only noticed this as I was studying this particular text in the very beginning. Paul has talked about thinking a lot in the book of Philippians. Ten times he tells us to think rightly about God and to think rightly about our relationships. And that's a great thing. That's what we want to do. We want to become people who think rightly about the world around us and about the people around us. But what he seems to be saying in this last little verse is there's some things you can't quite think yourself into. Are you in the midst of suffering and pressure? and you've been trying to think your way out of it, and you're not making progress, the pain and the suffering of your life still doesn't make sense to you. You've not been able to reason yourself out of your predicament and your circumstances. And Paul says, guess what? There's something beyond that. There is a peace which transcends understanding, which is a gift Of the grace of God in your life. And you access it by prayer. Have you ever had that moment where you prayed about something and it's not solved. And yet suddenly you have peace about it. That's what Paul is talking about. That's the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And that is what we have in Jesus Christ. And that is how. We move through pressured moments. When you're under pressure, rejoice. When you're under pressure, remember to be gentle. When you're under pressure, pray. Lord, somebody is beyond their ability to reason through right now. Somebody with us, either online or here in the parking lot, um, has come to the end of their mental faculties with respect to whatever challenge or struggle or pressure or suffering they are facing right now. And so I want to ask you, dear Lord, would you rain down upon that person, and maybe it's every single one of us, the peace which transcends understanding. Would you bless us with the incredible gift of grace that comes by your spirit that that even in the midst of whatever prison cell we might be sitting in, like Paul, we might know and understand a kind of a peace that reminds us of your sovereign control over the movements of the world, that reminds us of your unshakable love, For us, your image bearers, redeemed by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Rain down upon us that peace which surpasses understanding. I pray, Lord, somebody is in the midst probably of a really difficult relational situation right now. And we need gentleness. And what we want to do more than anything else is react out of our frustration, our anger, our fear, Um, whatever other emotion is driving us. Um, We just want to pull out the gun, as it were, and solve it in some authoritative way or once for all. And you might be calling us to go slow, to be quick to listen, slow to speak, to be careful, to be creative, to be thoughtful, to be forgiving, to be loving, to be patient. And so, Lord, we need you. We need your spirit to invade us, with power, to be gentle. What what, what a strange prayer, but that's what we need, Lord. It's harder to be gentle many times. So we need your strength. And then lastly, Lord, some of us have been living a life without joy. We've been in the midst of suffering and pain and all kinds of things that have caused challenge. And um, somewhere in the back of our minds, we know we're supposed to be joyful people because it says it over and over again in the Bible. We read that in psalm, in psalm, the psalm we read, the call to worship in this passage, all throughout the book of Philippians and many other places. Some we're going to study in the next weeks and Palm Sunday and, and Easter. The Bible calls us to be joyful. And yet so often we fall short of that command, that call. We know your, your goal this morning isn't to condemn us for that. But you do want us to grow. You want us to grow in joyfulness. So God, I pray that um, for those of us, and and perhaps it's all of us who are weak in joy, that throughout today and this coming week and, and, and actually months and even for the rest of our lives, that we would have the ability to see in the difficult moments how our pathway, our path is actually like the path of Jesus for that to to bring us confidence and, and happiness to know that the greatest person who ever lived walked along this path before us. Lord, give us joy in the knowledge that in the struggles and the pains, the suffering, the loss, the burial that we're experiencing, you will bring fruit. You will resurrect fruit from this present suffering. And help us to know in the midst of the pressures and the pains that we're experiencing that in fact... That is when you most draw near to us. You draw near to us with a scripture that speaks exactly to our need, with, a, with a, a brother or sister who comes at the right time, with a prayer that pierces into the deepest parts of our hearts, with an insight about who you are that opens up a new world of thought for us. Lord, you are present with us in our suffering and our pressures. And in that is an unshakable joy. How many times have we heard somebody who might be in the midst of a tremendous battle, cancer, um, or some other traumatic experience will say, you know, I hate that this happened to me, but I wouldn't give it up for anything because it's brought me closer to the God I love. Lord, would you make it true of us that in the midst, we draw near. And we would see that as you promise in scripture, you've already drawn near to us. All these things we lay before you, knowing that this sermon isn't isn't the sum of our Christian walk. It's just a a pointer to what you're going to do in our lives this week. As we seek to live well under pressure. And as you fill us and help us along the way. All of this we pray. In the precious name of Jesus Christ, amen.